Hello everyone and welcome back to the Misunderstood World Podcast. I'm your co-host Bill. And I'm your co-host Dylan. And I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Misunderstood World Podcast. We've had a bit of a hiatus, but we're back on the scene. Back to ma- that's it. Back to make some amazing podcasts for you guys that's listening out there. We want to come back with a bang, don't we, Dylan? Oh, definitely. 100%. Only way to come back. <laughs> it is indeed. And today's episode, it's episode 14, I believe. And we're basically mm. going to be talking about how China is a... Well, it is a superpower, but also how... It's a production superpower as well, and how it produces most of the world's products there, isn't it right, though? Oh, definitely, 100%. It, it um, helps produce the majority of the world's uh, products from clothes to tech. Oh, we're going to discuss that today and discuss the political elements and how that came to be. Yeah. China is the world's third biggest country by territory, and it has the largest population. It's home to one of the oldest civilizations on the earth with a unique and sophisticated culture. It has developed at record speed to become the second largest economy in the world, and it holds innumerable attractions for tourists to explore. Um, right. Let's, um, let's, so... The official name of China, though, is the People's Republic of China. Did you? I'm, I'm assuming you know that. Yeah, yeah. That it was. It was known that after the communists took over after the World War Two, that's when the communist regime they uh, rebranded it and dubbed it the uh, People's Republic of China. Yeah, yeah, and also it's uh, Beijing is its capital, uh, but its largest city by population is actually Shanghai. Well. That does make sense, though, because a lot of the um, Shanghai, I think, is one of the big cities where it produces the products. And from doing research from this uh, podcast, it's a quite a large area where a lot of the uh, they go to export their goods is Shanghai, and that's yeah. That, that, I that, think that, Shanghai has a port, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Does. Yeah, it has a population of over 1.4 billion. A population density in China is 153 per kilometer, or 396 per square mile. So that is that is actually mad when you think about it. Because if that's the average, so like obviously in rural bits of China there'll be not as many people, but yeah, because it's so densely populated, it still has an average of 153 per kilometer. That's not a lot of people, isn't it? It's insane, really. And then the median age in China is 38.4 years. What did you say the median age was? Sorry there, Bill. 38.4 years. Wow. So that's the average. That's the average age. That is impressive. It is. And that's probably what, that's quite young, really. And, you know, that's probably why they still have this work, this massive work, young workforce that they. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think if you were to do it for the um, thing, they'd still be, I think they'd be on the um, earliest stages of the millennials, although the older millennials, people were born around 1980. So that is still quite a fairly young workforce, you'd say, definitely 100%. Yeah, about 60.8% of the population live in urban areas. That's actually lower than I thought. Mm. That I thought it'd be like 70 or 80, so, you know. Well, fair- I, think, I think what it is, Bill, is because majority of work is in the cities, so that's where people are. A bit, a bit like this country, I suppose, but obviously this country, we don't really do a lot of, um, we don't really export so much as we used to. And like China, who export that, like you said, it's the largest exporter. And also, you know, you've, so you've got the exports there. You've also got where they make, you know, softwares and um, all sorts of stuff. And I'm sure their services are there. So it does, it does kind of make sense on why 
that it would be a largely a company, you know, a, a nation to produce products to export, that the the, um, the, la- the demographic would be that the largest generation where the people live would be those uh, areas. Yeah, definitely. Uh, officially, China has 56, et- 56 ethnic groups. That's insane. Yeah. The largest group, the Han, they're called, mm. H-A-N, is almost 91% of the whole population. Among the ninety, among the fifty-five other minority groups, I, I'm I'm definitely going to butcher these names, but Z Hung, Z H U A N G. There's another one called Manchu, M A N C H U. Another one H U I Hoi, and M I A O Mao have the largest populations. Most minority groups have their own distinctive culture. Some yeah. also have their own language and writing system. Yeah. Yeah, very similar to India, that is, and Russia as well. They have their own separate yeah. groups. Because I know there are Muslims in China as well, isn't there? Well, yeah, but the, I, I don't know if you heard about this, but in China, a lot of the Muslims who are Chinese, who are Islam, they actually are in uh, concentration camps. Yeah, I, I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, obviously with the rise of radical Islam, which is obviously a wrong, complete wrong way to look at it, you know, but that's what they do. Obviously, none of us here on this podcast condone their actions, but that's that's their um, that's their method of getting rid of is, um, extreme Islam is to put me concentrated camps. <laughs> Yeah, there are 35 million people who live in caves in China. I don't know if you knew about this, though. Most, most of them live in Shanghai. Is it Shanghai? Pro- I don't know. Shanghai province. Mm-hmm. Uh, S-H-A-A-X-I province. It is a Chinese architectural style dating back to the Stone Age. People in some northern Chinese area appreciate underground and cave dwellings since they are cheaper to build, easier to warm in the winter and cool in the summer. That's amazing. Thirty-five million people live in caves. I, yeah, I suppose it. I suppose you've got to think about. Um, it probably it, we said it, that it's easier to cool in the summer. Well, they're just using the natural resources if it's a cave, you know. And I suppose if you look at the area of a cave, I mean, I don't know how big these caves are particularly, but if you look at the area of a cave. It is quite easier to easier to warm it. You know, you pop a fire or whatever, or I don't know if you know they they, they build in central heating. Probably not, but it'd be easier to do that than say you know build a massive house and you know what I mean. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Like especially you know if you haven't got much money and you live in a poor rural area, yeah, yeah. you know the caves are already built out for you in a way, aren't they? One hundred percent. China Chinese is the only surviving pictographic writing system. So, yeah. so Chinese is often believed to be the world's most spoken and most difficult to learn first language. Mandarin is the official Chinese language and is taught in schools all over China. Mm-hmm. But there are many dialects and even other Chinese languages. Well, some, re- yeah. some regions speak a dialect of Mandarin. Some regions have their own distinct languages. Cantonese, for example, yeah, yeah. is spoken in Guangdong, Guangxi, Hong Kong, and Macau. People around Shanghai... Jing and Jiangsu speak Wu. I know those names are definitely not pronouncing them right, but <laughs> these languages can vary f- different from Mandarin. So pictograph pictographic writing system. That's to do with the si- that's all to do with symbols, isn't it? But yeah, that's their like their characters. So how we have the alphabet A B C or Alpha Bravo Charlie. That's their version of it. Yeah, it is. It's it's interesting, isn't it? It's a distinct list of writing systems classified according to some common distinguishing features. 
the usual name of the script is given first. The name of the language, yeah, it's pictographic writing system. But it's I really know, know this, Bill. A lot of Chinese people have English names, so they have their Chinese name, and then one name of which is given to them. Say, say for example, Mandarin. So they have the name Mandarin. But where if they ever say move to a country like Britain or America or even any of the European countries, they'll have a they'll, they'll give themselves like a Western name. Uh, like Jack or Stephen or Roger, because it's just easier for them to, you know, it's easier them to, for them to explain to people, you know, of that side of the globe rather than their uh, Chinese native name. Yeah, it makes sense. I've never thought about it, but now you say that makes sense. But I think it's the only country to do that because, you know, you wouldn't have, say, someone from India renaming themselves or somewhere, somebody from, say, Africa, the continent of Africa renaming themselves. You, they would just have their name, but. The, the Chinese probably they've uh, in their names they give they actually have an English name like Stephen or Roger you know yeah China has a variety of beliefs as well China has no unifying religion but people hold a wide range of beliefs mainly ranging from atheism to ancestor worship mm. to one of China's four major religion or sorry religions Buddhism mm. Taoism Islam or Christianity well I think the reason for that was partly um, largely due to the communist uh, regime which goes on and the start of the communist regime um, a lot of people don't know this but when communism first came to power especially in China and the Soviet Union and um, other nations like who, who practice it like North Korea um, they don't tend to have they, they banned religion basically they actually banned all religion so um, because they kind of believe it was, it, they believed that it would stop the revolution if they were to uh, introduce any outside religion, if that makes sense. So yeah. they're, they're, they're generally a lot of these countries who are communists or thought they don't really, ha- I mean, Russia is a bit different because you have, you have Orthodox Christians in Russian and in the East European, like Romania, Bulgaria. Um, so you have them, but generally, um, so the old dynasties of China before it was a communist country uh, would have had a religion, uh, but now, with, like a lot of them now, they don't have it, if that makes sense. So yeah, that, that does make sense, really. It does. Also, China has a fast booming economy. China yeah. was the world's fastest growing economy for over 30 years, mm-hmm. around 10% per year for three decades. It is now the world's second largest economy. It's 2020 GDP being 15.8 trillion USD. China is known as the factory of the world. Yeah. It is the world's largest producer of concrete, steel, fertilizer, clothing, and toys. That's something we'll get into a little bit more as oh, well. Definitely. On the podcast for this kind of uh, giving you giving the listeners a like a um, like a summary of China and getting them information out to them. China has 18 cities with a population of over 10 million. That's insane. Yeah. So according to the latest data, China has more than 660 cities. About 90 of them have a population of over a million. Mm. There are 18 cities with a population of over 10 million. The most populous cities is Shanghai, having yeah. a population of over 24 million. Inside, and then oh, China builds a new skyscraper every five days. According to the published research, China has more than two hundred skyscrapers that are over one hundred and fifty meters tall under under construction. In the next five years, China plans to build more than eight hundred skyscrapers. By twenty thirty, there are planned to be over what they're planned to be more than one thousand five hundred new buildings that are over one hundred and fifty meters tall in China. Mm insane 
It is quite crazy, but I think it comes back to uh, the China's culture. I mean, for listeners who don't know, I've actually been to China myself, and um, the culture is it doesn't matter what job you are. If you're an investment banker or the way down to a road sweeper, you take great pride in your work and it's productivity, productivity, productivity. So because of that, that's why they're really productive. You've got this, uh, you've got a mass global country full of a lot of people and their main goal is to you know be as productive as you can as also it comes to the communist um uh, mantra of you know you serve the government you serve the people so the, i think the idea is the more productive they are the more they're going to serve the people's republic of china i think that's the reason why they're like that they're very productive in their way of work yeah exactly like you say they take pride in everything they do yeah it's like they don't do stuff half you know, no. halfway, like no full full pride in everything they do. I mean, when I was in China, I noticed that we were going through Beijing, you know, driving around Beijing, and uh, all the streets were really, really clean. And it was quite bizarre for a big capital city, you know, that the streets were super clean and tidy. And like, if you were to say compare like London, you know, you've got areas of London which have, you know, there's lots of rubbish, or you know what I mean. But in China, they they take great pride in looking after their city and making sure looking after the environment when it comes to sort of like litter and stuff like that. They're very against that, and they're big believers, you know, keep it clean. And if you're a street, like I said, if you clean the streets, if that's your job, you know, you take great pride in that, and you clean, and yeah. you, clean, you know what I mean. You make sure yeah. it's like really clean. But it was like, it was almost like when I got to china and i was looking out the windows it was like it was like a new city it's like a city of the future in a way like you would run it with things so clean it was like it was just made there yesterday almost and it was just you know the the the, uh, the, the, the floor the um the uh, the pavements are shiny and clean and you know there was no rubbish and you know what i mean everyone was quite yeah. respectful and mindful of where to put the litter and whatnot yeah i know what you mean it is like it's and i think that's because it's it's a respect thing when you get brought up you're brought up to have respect yeah and and also especially in those asian countries yeah 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 and also it makes china as a nation look good you know it looks good on their government it's a you know it's a people's government that's basically what the communist government is it's you know people's republic people's government so we make so when you're when you're cleaning the streets like in beijing you're you're not doing it for yourself for the paycheck you're doing it for the pride so when the people can see you're you're bringing it for pride of china so that's kind of what the mantra is in a way it's more like we're on a football team so to speak like in the western society i think we're more uh, separate where it's all about you know i'm an individual you're an individual if that makes sense but china it's nowhere it's team effort and we're a big team i think that's why the standard is so high it is and that leads me on to my next bit of information i don't know if you know this still confucianism i don't know if i'm saying that right it was a leading philosophy in ancient confucianism yeah yeah existing for more than 2500 years confucianism is an ancient belief system which had an influential impact on chinese culture it focuses on inner virtue morality and respect for the community and nature its founder founder, confucius was a great philosopher and teacher who lived from 551 to 479 bc his teachings taught good behavior and ethics were written down by his students in a book called Lun Yu or the Analytics of Confucius. Yeah. Confucius, his name is. Um, well, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this now, actually, when uh, we were in China, uh, we were in Beijing, we, we went out for an evening, you know, just walk around, you know, see what it's about. I was actually quite um, bizarre, you know, you can tell it was a diff- completely different uh, culture shock almost, you know, we went to the 
Uh, I think we just lost still there for a second, but I'll just carry on reading the facts anyway. Uh, oh no, he's back now. One second. Now. Oh, are you back, Bill? Yeah, sorry. I, I don't know what happened. No, sorry. No, I think, no, you're I think okay. Listen, wrong. Anyway, when we went to this park in Beijing, we walked around, and you know, it wasn't. You know, this was like a Saturday night, so and every, you know, it's like the whole family comes. You know, there are old people playing, like, uh, and when I say old people, like all the like people in their eighties, nineties playing uh, ping pong. They were climbing. They had a climbing wall. They were climbing the walls. They were doing like um, tai chi in the park as well, and I think yoga. And that, you know, kids were there and whole families are there. So it's a very different uh, way of life. It is. It is. I've noticed right. that, though, yeah. like even on my travels, yeah, it's yeah. like the rest of the world care about actually wanting to live a nice life. And like the old people go out and do stuff like that. It's like when I was in Barcelona, like it was like getting in the evening and we were walking through one of the local parks mm. and there was just loads of people doing like yoga like you say like um, playing ping pong playing football like you know actually wanting to live their life in a nice way yeah. but like you don't get we don't really get that here in the UK and there wasn't there wasn't any like problems of alcohol that you'd get you'd get normally in the city you know in, in the western side there was no problems about it you know was no one was drunk and no one was like you know there was no one drinking in the park everyone was respectful I think people had picnics and drinking tea it it was, it was much more what you said, more about inner virtue and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And Chinese, the Chinese began to drink tea over 3,000 years ago. Mm. According to the Chinese legend, tea was discovered by M- Emperor Shen Nong uh, in 2737 BC. Tea was one of the most important products introduced to the West via the Silk Road. People exchanged tea for jewels, dried herbs, and spices. Yeah. Tea played an important role in the cultural exchange between the West and China. The Tea yeah. Horse Road was a, tra- was a trade route. The Tea Horse Road was a trade route between Tibet and Singshan uh, Yunnan. Drinking tea, especially green tea, has a long history. China's tea culture is associated with literature, the arts and philosophy. Offering a cup of tea to older generations by the younger generations is a way to respect one's elders in China. Couples customarily serve tea to their parents and elder families in a Chinese marriage ceremony. Drinking tea before or after dinner is a traditional practice to socialize with friends or relatives in China. It is common to see a group of Chinese people sitting together to drink tea in their spare time. Nowadays, many Chinese restaurants offer tea before meal begins. Yeah, well, it's a lot like if you were to have a dinner party in this country and you might have pre-drinks and uh, you might have like food out on the table, like, you know, like nibbly bits. And then after, after that, then um, you, you then might have after dinner drinks. So like some people will, some dinner parties, I mean, I've never been to a fancy dinner party, but some dinner parties will say off, say port afterwards or, or a brandy. If it's like Christmas time, you know, after like a free course meal or something. So that, that's how I think we, you know, we. That's how I think where the similarity is. They do the same thing, bits of alcohol. They do it with tea. Yeah, that's. It's like it's like they like air al- The way we socialize with alcohol is like the way they socialize with. Yeah, tea. exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's 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 basically the uh, that's basically what it is. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously, we know which one's better for you, anyway. Well, we know what it's one of them. You know, you know, you know which one you're gonna have a better time with is. You know what's gonna be helping in the long run. So it's one of them. Yeah, it's one of them. Yeah, that's it. Right. Um, I don't think I'm just going through this here now. I'm just trying to see. 
uh, if there's any other information that I want to say before we get into the production stuff, China is one of the four ancient civilizations. China is among the most advanced civilization, along with the Babylonian, Mayan, and Egyptian civilizations. They ha- there has been written documentation of China's history for more than three thousand years. Yeah, pre-modern China gave rise to the four great inventions, as well as football and kites. Chinese people invented paper, we knew that, Mm. printing, the compass, and gunpowder. The four great inventions have made important contributions to human human civilization. Besides the four great inventions, Chinese people also invented many other things, such as Chinese football, kites, silk, and porcelain. It's quite impressive. I mean, I... I did think they did invent gunpowder because I used it. Was it? I think was it around the the uh, what's it called the Napoleon Napoleon yeah thank you the Napoleon era that's wasn't that when when guns they started to use guns wasn't it like, I I don't think they were invented but that's when they started to use it um, and I remember them um, I remember watching a documentary about it and them saying that um, the first ever guns weren't as effective because you shoot your gun. And then it would take ages. You, know, you have to reload for ages, and also sometimes you try and shoot it in a block because of the gunpowder. Yeah, yeah, block up, yeah, mm. jam. There were only six hundred. Em- there were o- over. There were about six hundred emperors over the history of China since the first emperor, Qin Shong Un. Uh, like you say, I'm getting these names wrong. Founded the Qin Qin Dynasty from two hundred twenty one to 206 BC, there were 150 plus emperors who ruled in succession over China or parts thereof. If all the emperors claiming legitimacy from ancient times were counted, there would be over 600. Famous emperors include Han Gaozu, the first emperor of the Han dynasty. Like I said, I'm going to mess these names up. (laughs) Tang Tazong, an emperor who made Tang dynasty the most powerful and well-known to the world. Zhu Yong Zhang, first emperor of the Ming dynasty. Mm. Uh, Kang Ji, most powerful emperor of the Qing dynasty. And Pi Yi, last emperor of China in the Qing dynasty. Yeah. But I think with a lot of big countries like China and Russia, you'll see, especially China, they've always had problems of um, sort of civil wars. You know, you have like uh, emperors or warlords taking legitimacy over the throne of China. And then re- if you look at the history of it, uh, break it down you've had people split into different regions stuff like that it's very um, interesting really no it is interesting like um like you say like warlords and people yeah. came and yeah. better this and that china enjoys a great diversity of geography at 9.6 million square kilometers which is 3.7 million square miles china is the third largest country in by area in the world it has a north i think the only two ahead of it it's canada and russia right uh, it has a north-south extent of 3,900 kilometers, which is 2,400 miles, and a east-west extent of 5,000 kilometers, which is 3,100 miles. 33% of China's territory is mountainous, 26% is high plateaus, 19% are basins and deserts, 12% are plains, and 10% are hills. If well, you're, oh, go on, go on. No, no, it said, um, if you're, it says here, if you look, if you want to go to China to look at the natural sites, they recommend, uh, uh, these places Guilin Guzhou uh, Yunnan in South China Tibet is considered a sacred area where you can discover the world's highest plateau Inner Mongolia has the best grasslands well I'll tell you it's something interesting about China it kind of makes sense because um, 
you know, when I was in China, we were talking about, you know, the culture of China and whatnot. Because a lot, the vast majority of the Chinese population don't go abroad like how you said, Bill, you went to Barcelona. They don't go on holidays like that. Instead, what they'll do is they might say if you've got someone in northern China, they might go to southern China or they from southern China might go to west China. And really going to those regions, it's like going to a completely different country almost because it's like a use of different language, different ethnics. Um, different, uh, slightly different culture. So it's like going to a different country. So it's quite, it's almost like the America in a way, uh, United States of America is that not many people actually go outside of, not many Americans go outside of America. They, they, they might like we would do, right? We would go outside Britain, but instead they would rather be, if you've got, say, someone from New York, they might think, oh, I'll spend a week in Texas or, you know, two weeks. And it takes ages to drive around. And the same with China, really. You can imagine that with the north, with the distance from the north and the south there, you know, that's what people do rather than go outside of the country. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then obviously, as you cross these massive countries, their time zones change as well. Mm, yeah, so they're yeah. on different time zones. So like one side of the country will be in darkness and the other will be waking up, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like in America and Russia as well, these large countries. It's like, like the Pacific and the Atlantic coasts exactly, on America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, China has the most international borders. China has also the most international borders, neighboring 14 countries. Russia, Mongolia... Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Nepal, Bhutan, Myanmar, Thailand, Vietnam, and North Korea. That it's in such a strategic, politically strong position where it is bordering all these countries. Well, we'll get we'll get into uh, Korea and Vietnam, and it's actually the reason why China is. It's probably one of the reasons why China is now one of the biggest countries to do trade with. It's because of those events in the Cold War. But like I said, for our listeners, we'll get into that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, the longest river in China is the Yangtze. Mm. Um, the total length of the Yangtze River is more than 6,300 kilom- uh, kilometers, which is 3,900 miles. It's the longest river in Asia, running through central China. The Yangtze River is one of the most important rivers in China. It has played an important role of, in China's economic and cultural development. China's temperature and rainfall vary greatly from the north to the south, as we've, as we've just said, because it's such mm. a massive country. In China, the north is colder and drier than the south, and the west is drier than the east. Winter temperatures in the northeast China can reach minus 40 degrees, oh while goodness. summer in the south can reach 40 degrees. Yeah, Rainfall varies from a few millimetres per year in the Takla Makan desert to over three metres a year in the southeast. There you go. Well, that's quite a fascinating thing, really, to a, for a country like that to have so many different climate cl- climates. You know, like if you think of uh, Britain, we really have, um, you know, we, we obviously we might have difference in the weather because of where we station. But generally, if it's going to be a cold winter day in, say, Glasgow, it will be in Cardiff and London and Belfast. You know, so that's yeah, quite it's like that's quite yeah. crazy that there's completely different climate uh, different climates in one country. Yeah, the only slight. Uh, change in climate in the UK is like Scotland can be more colder than say London like the south yeah like, of course you know of course but that's, it, that's, yeah but yeah, it's not it a wouldn't big be like on those scales though would it you know no, no no it wouldn't be on those crazy scales uh, generally the best time to visit China is in the autumn apparently mm. uh, China is a big country a rich variety of weather dependent and non-weather dependent travel options 
uh, visitors can travel to uh, can travel to different optimal places in China all year round. But to visit the most popular places is in comfortable weather. It's to go in autumn. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. and there's fifty six World Heritage sites in China. Um, which is absolutely insane so there's a lot like you know like the Great Wall of China and stuff like that the Forbidden City Summer Palace I've been uh, yeah I've I've been to the Forbidden City actually yeah Terracotta Army you've seen that haven't you not in China they were on tour in Liverpool and I saw them in Liverpool (laughs) on tour with the lads in Liverpool yeah they were a little tour I didn't I did see them though; they were very impressive. Um, but I did see the Forbidden City and the Blue Palace, and obviously uh, the Great Wall. Um, I walked on the Great Wall, and it was, you know, it was a very remarkable country. You know, a lot of history there with the different d- dynasties. Uh, I, f- I found the whole thing fascinating, to be honest with you, Bill. Yeah, I bet. I bet it was such a cultural. You'd probably go there again, would you? Well, I would. I mean, the reason why I went there was because my mum's cousin worked there so it was a bit like that i mean it'd be quite it isn't really like a holiday destination like spain or portugal you go and just relax you have to go and sightsee which i you know i didn't don't mind you know i learned a lot but it, it is quite a cultural shock um in some places you know in, in a good way generally um you know there are a few things that i'd question when i was there but the vast majority i uh, you know i thoroughly enjoyed the trip Good, good. Right, let's get into the one of the main talking points of this podcast is why is China the world's biggest manufacturer? Dil? So, do you have information, some info you want to start with, Dil, or do you want me to go? I have got a sort of a timeline to explain why it is that way. Yeah, you go. You go. Explain. We'll start, yeah. Well, for those of you who don't know, it all started around the Cold War era. So Richard Nixon got elected in 1969 as a Republican president. And one of his goals was to try and let China let China was a communist country in the Cold War. It was it became communist after um, after World War Two, um, and you can see some of the reasons why it was a big country. Many different ethnic uh, people were there. So uh, as like we've we just discussed, you know, it's it's like its own little you know own little world with many different regions being different countries, but. So China was a new USA and China to the West was more or less quite isolated at that time. You know, they didn't have a lot to do with each other. But Richard Nixon wanted to sort of um, sort of have nego- have trade, not trade, have peace negotiations, which would then lead on to trade, trade, um, you know, negotiations. And that's how we become a trade partner. But that, the reasons were was it all started with one of it was the Korean War Um Basically, what happened was there was a war, I think it was in the late 50s, where America uh, was at war with Korea uh, due to them being the communist uprising. So you had like the North Korea, which were communists, and South Korea, which which were uh, uh, democracy, were Western, basically. And um, basically what happened was uh, when... At the moment, at the time, South Korea were doing quite bad. The North were winning. And then um, basically what happened was the Americans intervened. And I think Britain, I think they sent a battalion, a few people, you know, we, we sent a few uh, battalions over and we started going up sort of South Korea past the par- the parallel. Uh, what's it called again, Bill? Is it the 98th parallel, is it? 58th parallel, the border between North and South Korea. 
I don't know what it's called, to be honest it's with you. Called it's called Yeah, it's, yeah. I, it, is, it is something like that. Well, that board is still there today. So basically, um, American and uh, British, and I think maybe French forces went up from uh, South Korea all the way to North Korea, and then it was going to be a democracy. But then China was quite concerned at the time because China and Korea share a border. So uh, the Chinese, I think, they sent a few people over, sent arms to the Koreans to sort of combat the South Koreans and the Western you know, allies, uh, which were American, uh, and I think French, went back down to sort of North and South Korea. And that's why you have the North and South Korea split because of what happened in China. If China never intervened, Korea wouldn't be under a dictatorship today. Um, so that kind of strained relations between China and the West and China and America. Um, also, you had uh, the threat of Chinese nuclear threat. Remember, this is sort of 1970s, so we were still sort of in the middle of the Cold War. So, if it would have been a big danger to America, so that's why um, that's why um, you know uh, you know America wanted some sort of open talks of uh, China to sort of end to sort of you know stop the nuclear threat. And the third one was to uh, end the Vietnam War because at the time uh, Nixon got. Uh, elected, we was uh, they were in the middle of the Vietnam War. Well, Nixon wanted to end the Vietnam War, and again, Vietnam being a communist country at the time, or North Vietnam, well, I don't know if the whole Vietnam country, but at the time it was North being communists, and um, they wanted again China to talk to peace talks about them ending the war. So um, basically, Harry Kissinger, who was um, Richard Nixon's private secretary in military, defence and arms. He set up a secret mission. Uh, sorry, he set, up, he set up a deal to discuss the Chinese in, I think, 1971 to discuss um, a state visit from an American president to come over to China and talk about peace talks, basically. But obviously, he didn't want the press knowing because um, knowing what I know about uh, the Republicans, they're more conservative, and which means, generally speaking, that the conservative sides of government would never ever negotiate with the enemy so to speak and never ever sit down and have peace talks so I think that was the reason why they did it in secret um, what happened there was a thing called ping pong diplomacy with Richard Nixon he um, basically sent the American team over to, pl- to, ch- to play a ping pong with uh, the Chinese uh, team to um, to sort of bring out peace and then after that they had the peace talks and I think that kind of uh, kind of kind of took as, as Nixon would say uh, took China out of the cold into the uh, country into the country and um, started uh, we you know we started trading with them and that's where their superpower is today I think the reason why uh, China wanted to sort of negotiate with the West was because uh, relationships between them and the Soviet Union were deteriorating and um, at the time Soviet Union was considered you know the main you know you know the, the brainchild of communism so if they see that they, they re- that if their relations were failing and, and again you know because at, t- at that time in the 60s so they were quite a poor country so um with that in mind um you know they decided to um you know open peace talks and since then because of those peace talks that's how china's become a trading partner and that's where they are today because richard nixon that's they that's you've explained that very well Dil. that's some valuable insight into what Thank actually you. went on there i didn't know much of that to be honest with you. we studied it in high school 
because um, I did history, you, you did geography, didn't you? So, um, um, but I remember learning about that, fascinating, and it was probably quite a bold move for uh, Richard Nixon, especially him being a Republican president, to go over, you know, because remember, you know, at the time, you know, China were communists, so they were considered enemies and sort of open negotiate peace talks to them. Um, but, you know, it, it's like what I've said with countries, you know, the only one of the ways to um, stop war is to have peace and then set up trade deals and trade policies and debate trade negotiation. I mean, that, that's one of the ways how you do it. I mean, you, you see it with like countries like Dubai, you know, they haven't got open democracy like we do, but yet we trade with them, you know, you know, and if we didn't, you know, there'd be a good chance we would probably be at war, you know, that's probably the reason why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well said, like a politician there, though. <laughs> no, no, no. Honestly, though, you explained that really well because oh, I didn't you. know much of that, and I'm sure the listeners will um, it will be absolutely will be happy that you explained it that way. Yeah, thank you. Uh, there you are. So, there's what are the, some of the reasons? I'm gonna, um, I'll I'll probably just touch on some of the things you just said now as well. Okay. Um, the Chinese economy thrives as a manufacturing powerhouse, and the nation's products seem to be everywhere. The majority of tags, labels, stickers on a, on a variety of goods proclaim they are made in China. Yeah. Because of this, it's understandable Western consumers might wonder, why is everything made in China? I've, To be honest, before, I, I used to always think as a kid, like, mm. why is it everything made in China on it? I always used to think that. I can explain why. Um, in, the, in, in, in short... The reason why everything's made in China is because they can deliver the uh, like we come back to this build productivity thing. China can deliver, you know, because of the size of the country, large workforces produce goods at um, high demand, the low cost. That's why a lot of things like clothing and tech yeah. are there because yeah. they can do it faster. And also, there's no now in this country, you know, you used to have factories, but there's all sorts of regulations. You don't get that in China. They, they don't have any regulations, so they they can basically. You know, so if you look at it completely from a business perspective or organization model, it's much more effective in terms of producing goods. And that's why, uh, you know, that's that's why, you know, China is more thinkers. You know, it's it's meets it's the only country really. And maybe like India, we've met the demand of what we need as consumers. You know, the latest phone, latest clothes goes China, cheaply made. Cheaply made, that's it. And some people you know, may think the uh, obliquity of Chinese products is due to the abundance of cheap Chinese labor that brings down the production costs. But there is much more. It is that, but there's much more to it than that, you know. In addition, it's low labor costs, like you say. China has become known as the world's factory because of its strong business ecosystem. Yeah. Lack of re- but also lack of regulatory compliance. Yeah, no regulations. Low, low taxes and duties and competitive currency practices. Mm. So... Lower wages. I'm going to just uh, talk a bit about that now. China is home to approximately 1.41 billion people, making it the most populous, uh, one of the most populous countries in the world. The law of supply and demand tells us that since the supply of workers is greater than the demand for low wage workers, wages stay low. Yeah. Moreover, the majority of Chinese were rural and lower middle class or poor until the late 20th century, when internal migration turned the country's rural urban distribution upside down. These immigrants, like you said, but they're not immigrants, they're, mo- they're moving around in the same country to industrial cities are often willing to work many shifts for low wages. Like, so this is, if I explain that uh, um, easier than what I just said, there's 
this happens in a lot of countries. You had a low, you had a rural, the poor rural people working for just to survive, really, yeah. working in the rural areas, making no money, just growing enough crops just to eat. And then they're all moving to the city where they don't, they've had such a hard life in the rural stuff. But they, they're willing to do anything to make money in the cities. Yeah, of course. It makes a well put bill. You know, it's it's that sort of situation of like, you know, it, it, I suppose it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like, um, you know, how you have sort of, you know, you probably remember because I'm sure um, our, you know, my ancestors being from, from Guyana on one side and your ancestors being Irish from the other, they moved to like Britain and, uh, you know, in the, you know, the rebuilding of, of places after World War Two, you know, to come and work for, sort of lower wages it's sort of similar to that or how now you have a lot of irish people and british people moving to australia for the except it's not for lower wages it's because um i think i think you know there's a need of trades and because uh, not many australian people haven't trades so if there is a demand there and a country domestically doesn't have those you know the workforces and do that they will uh, recruit um outward to foreign countries exactly and China doesn't follow, not strictly at least, laws related to child labour no, and minimum don't, wages, don't. which are more widely observed in the West. However, this situation seems to be changing and more provinces report that they are increasing <laughs> their minimum wage in response yeah. to increases in the cost of living. Well, I'll tell you something interesting about uh, China or about Apple. So as you know, Apple used China mainly as their production to uh, products and stuff. Apple have their own cities in China. Um, they have one in Zhenghong, which I think is, um, which I think is, I don't know where it is, but they have their own, they have their own cities, and then they have their own workers. But because I've always been a bit com- confused, really, and I only learned this from doing my business management degree. Um, any of these companies, like Next or uh, Nike or any of those sort of countries, or Primark, and then if you look at the tech industry, like Apple, Samsung, or maybe not Samsung because that's South Korea, but China, and like, uh, sorry, but Apple and like maybe Sony. Um, those sort of countries, those sort of companies, well, sorry, I should say rather, um, there's the people who actually produce them aren't the same of who actually design the product. They, they're suppliers, if that makes sense. So Apple will have a design of an iPhone, for example, but they, their factories aren't owned by Apple, they're owned by somebody else. So then what happens is the people who design the phone will we'll, we'll show we'll take we'll send it to the factories be like i want this you know new iphone and then they'll make it so it's actually a, a third party to make it um 85 percent of tech comes from zing hung and then the company that makes the apple iphone is called foxconn um and I, i've got a few uh, statistics here 150 factories suppliers who supply the iphone and like devices for the, any of apple china 150 of them 150 of them are in china 150 factories you then have 26 countries in vietnam and 11 in india that's insane isn't it yeah, that's yeah. It just goes to show you know they they, they do anything for profits like you know well yeah i mean i've also got m- m- more detail here um now I noticed this when I was in China. Uh, when I was in Beijing, I, I went to the zoo. It, it was very much um, full of smog, and um, it's China now is the largest global warming emitter of in the world. So it it it, it, it kind of emits most CO two levels. I mean they're trying to they're trying to change that. Um, but I mean the arguments they've used in the past were that that we had industrial revolution in Britain. 
I like America obviously had an industrial revolution. So, you know, is there sort of time to have an industrial revolution? So that's why they don't really big they don't really have they don't really have a big emphasis of, you know, global warming measures and how to reduce uh, CO2 levels. However, um when I was doing research for this, um China are looking to end using they're looking to wind down uh, sort of uh, products by 2030 using uh, factory global emissions and then by 2060 they're looking to go carbon neutral 2060 yeah wow that's mad for a country like china the biggest producer in the world to try to go carbon neutral that's a that's a big goal isn't it yeah but i do i do wonder bill you know, I do kind of wonder because of consumerism. I do kind of wonder that if they did ever go, if they ever, if if they ever went completely carbon neutral, would they lose their competitive edge because they wouldn't be able to produce yeah. so many goods in that yeah, way? I know what you, mean. you know, so I, I when I was watching the news, that was sort of my first sort of reaction to it. Um, really was that okay? It's good you're going carbon neutral, but a lot of countries now are going carbon neutral. We're going, we're trying to go carbon neutral. I think it's by 2030. I don't know if that'll happen. Um, but I, I'm, I'm worried. I'm not worried, but I do kind of wonder if it does go carbon neutral by 2060. Will the bigger countries like America, who buy stuff like Apple, all those other countries, you know, those countries like America? Um, you know, Britain, would they use go somewhere else? And the companies like Apple next, will they go somewhere else? You know, because um, they, they've, I'll, I'll tell you something now, um, during um, their alliance with Russia, countries don't want to trade with them anymore. Um, and, um, and, all, and also during the uh, COVID pandemic and the cost of living crisis, uh, demand actually dropped by about 40% and the containment dropped by 21% because, uh, Companies like Walmart and Target order too many products and people are buying because they, they can't afford it. So it, it means that there's now too much demand, if that makes sense, in, in China. There's too much, not too much demand, there's too much product basically going around and people aren't affording it. So they've got these large shipments of products being made, but there's got no one nowhere to store them because it's not selling. So people are, I think they are considering it, like Alex and Apple are considering moving their uh, factories to India and Vietnam uh, and because of this, and mainly because of like Russia. But the um, problem is, is that the uh, metals in China used to create the iPhone. The reason why they can do it so effectively is because the metals create the iPhone and the iPhone components and the Apple Macs and all that. They use, China used their own mines, their own metal mines, and yeah. India doesn't have that. So if India was to become the main uh, export exporter of goods for Apple, they would still have to use China's mines or find other mines which cost more money on the supply chain. Yeah, that makes sense still. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, in 2021, Guangdong, China's largest economic province, increases minimum wage by almost 10% to 2,361 per month. As of 2022, Shanghai has the highest hourly minimum wage among 37 provinces, which is 2,590 um, RMB. So for the listeners who don't know RMB, it's, it, is, it is basically one, but it's a new term for it that they use now. It's called renminbi. R-E-N-M-I-N-B-I. It's uh, the currency of the People's Republic of China. It is basically one, but it's just a different name for it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so I that's about... Uh, that's... Um, so one pound sterling is 8.41 Chinese one. So 
So I converted that just to give the listeners and you a, a sense of what that is. So 2,590 RMB isn't a lot. And it's the highest in Shanghai. It's the highest. So that was only about 316 pound per month. Right. So, yeah, that's that's not a lot for us. That's not a lot. What, but Beijing has the highest hourly minimum wage, which right. is 23 point, sorry, 25 point three RMB per hour. So but what you're, what you're but saying, that's only, oh, but that's only three pounds 16 per right. hour. So what you're saying is their currency is a lot weaker than ours then. Yeah, yeah. One right. British pound is is worth eight one basically. Right. Yeah. Which I thought I thought it'd be a lot less than that. To be honest, with you. I thought China would have had. A, I thought their currency would have been a bit more um, like in competitiveness with the pound and the dollar, but it's not. But maybe the reason is is because people. It's a product. It's a production country, so that's why companies like Apple go there and buy the products because they can buy a lot more. I mean, you know, the, the quotes like, you know, it's bang for the buck, isn't it? You know, so if you've got a country with weak currency, as a foreign country like America, I can buy more goods there because the, 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 their, their currency is a lot weaker than, say, you know, America or Britain. Yeah, exactly. The huge labor pool in China helps to produce and bulk accommodate any seasonal industry requirement and even cater to sudden rises in demand schedule. So I'm just going to talk a bit more about the business ecosystem now in China. So industrial production does not take place in isolation, but rather relies on network of suppliers, component manufacturers, distributors, government agencies and customers who are all involved in the process of... Production through the com- uh, through competition and cooperation, the business ecosystem in China has evolved quite a lot in the last thirty years. Yeah. For exa- for example, excuse me, Shenzhen, a city border in Hong Kong, in the southeast, has evolved as a hub for the electronics industry it has cultivated an ecosystem to support the manufacturers manufacturer supply chain including component manufacturers low cost workers a technical workforce assembly suppliers and customers well that is very interesting because i'll tell you something when china in 1990 this is before really they got as a big powerhouse um they're um they're, they're, they weren't that strong i mean they're like the um their CO2 emission was only like 34%, and I think the economy, the value was only like about 9%, so it was considered quite low, the production, sorry, the products on 9%. But since, like I said, since Nixon, since they've opened up, they've really um, they've really kind of become like, even though it isn't a democracy, it's a communist country, a communist regime, it's become quite a vital trading partner to us. You know, we, they started small and they're growing, growing, growing into this big uh, thing. But I remember that I remember my uh, business teacher at A-Level said to me that, well, you know, we were talking about uh, e- economics and he said to me that economics, you can't just keep going up and up and up. You eventually have to go down, basically, because in America in the 80s, and I think in the, in the 80s it went up, and then obviously in a few years it went down. So eventually, and it comes back to sort of physics as well, it, what comes up must come down. So eventually China economically will go down, and I think maybe that's why um, you know, they're looking to carbon neutrals and stuff like that, um, because they need to find a new way of production. But eventually they might have to end up like, um, you know, like places like Dubai, or like Saudi Arabia, um, yeah. where they open to tourists, 
because, you know, obviously they had the oil and so their economic thing was up, but they've realized it's going to hit a thing. That's why a lot of the Saudis now are invested in place football clubs, horses, and they, you know, a lot of events now, like box matches happen over there because, and wrestle, WrestleMania matches, you know, not WrestleMania, wrestling, WWE, a lot of their events over happens over there because they now have to become like tourism. So like, like almost like the Las Vegas of the world, if, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. You know, I know what you mean. They might need to start uh, getting their um, GDP higher by using tourism. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 quite popular. I mean, I think obviously with countries like you know in the Middle East who do that, um, they have the heat and also they have the oil money. So the smartest thing to do would be to save them production money almost and then eventually when it does go down you bring in china as a tour tour guide but again that goes into carbon neutrals because um i mean i don't think many people would want to go to a city where um there isn't any sort of global warming measures or anything whatsoever i mean like i said to you when i was in beijing zoo it was um the co2 level was really it was it was like it it was smog almost a bit like smog i've never really been into a place with smog before but it was like smoggy and uh, when i walked around the animals and you know at at the zoo like there was a there i saw a polar bear and you could tell that that polar bear wasn't you know it was malnourished it wasn't looked after properly so they need to really improve you know and they need to prove the standard of living, you know, living in the air. And like, if they're going to use zoos as tourist attractions, like a lot of countries do, they need to improve the welfare of the animals, not just in zoos, but all around. And that's how you'd get more tourists. Yeah, exactly. Dil. Well said. American, I'm just going to speak for a bit now, Dil, because there's a, quite a lot of information just to get through here on here. Okay. Um, American companies like Apple, including AAPL, take advantage of China's supply chain efficiencies to keep costs low and margins high. Foxconn Technology Group, a Taiwan-based manufacturer of electronics, has multiple suppliers and manufacturers of components that are uh, at nearby locations. For many companies, it's economically unfeasible to take the components to the US to assemble the final product. So that leads to a lower compliance. So manufacturers in the West expect ex- uh, are expected to comply with certain basic guidelines with regards to child labor, involuntary labor, health and safety norms, wage laws and protection of yeah. the environment. Chinese factories are known for not following these guidelines. Historically, Chinese factories have employed child labor, mm. have had long shift hours and have not provided the workers with com- compensation insurance. Some factories even have policies where the workers are paid once a year, a strategy to keep them from, from quitting before the year is out. Faced with mounting criticism, the Chinese government has claimed to institute reforms that protect workers' rights and provide for fairer compensation. However, compliance with the rules in many industries is low and change has been uh, slow. Additionally, environmental protection laws are routinely ignored, enabling Chinese factories to cut down on waste. It's important. Uh, according to a nine, 2019 World Bank report, 18 of the world's top 20 most polluted cities are in China. However, air pollution in China's largest cities decreased during the nearly shutdown periods of COVID-19. It's ironic, isn't it? You know, um, the communist regime in China where the People's Republic and they treat the workers terribly like that and the environment. It is pretty ironic, isn't it? You know, but yeah, that just comes back to the thing, efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. But, you know, at what cost, you know? Um, obviously, in the Western countries like Britain and America, we, we kind of care more about, generally, we care about more about the value of human life of our workers. So you do have factories in America 
Um, and that's why you've had, like, in Detroit, you had a before um, China kind of blew up as a superpower of production. Uh, you'd have a big production, like, in Philadelphia and, like, those sort of states, America. Um, and they were known as the Rust Belt areas, basically, and, you know, car production. But then when China went away, all their jobs were gone because they realized efficiently. All the companies re- looked at it and realized, oh, hang on a minute, we can make more cars, or, like, for a lot more and get a, more value for our money, basically. But it's, it's still, it's just, it's quite um, ironic, isn't it? You know, people's, you know, uh, the people, yeah, people, yeah, people the public. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, they treat the people terribly. But, yeah. yeah. China has been accused of artificially depressing the value of the one to provide an edge for its exports against similar products produced by the US competitors. China keeps a track on the appreciation of the one by buying dollars and selling one. The one was estimated to be undervalued by 30% against the dollar in 2005. That just goes back to what I just said before because I said I'm surprised it wasn't stronger and they've just said there now that they purposely try to keep it down. Yeah, they devalue it so they they can get more That's it. In 2017, the one appreciated 8% against the dollar, a move that experts say came about after former President Trump threatened to label China's current uh, currency manipulator. However, this trend reversed and the one weakened against the dollar beginning in June 2018 when the US imposed tariffs on Chinese goods. On the 8th of August 2019, Chinese central bank lowered the one to 7.0205 per dollar, the weakest level since April 2008. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, the one continued to lose value uh, to the US dollar. The average exchange rate uh, throughout 2021 was 6.4529 to uh, CNY to USD with the exchange rate hitting 6.36 at the end of 2021. As of 20 January 2022, the Chinese foreign exchange reserves total approximately 3.3.2 uh, trillion. Yeah, well, that that does make um, sense because uh, actually, in uh, June of in. Uh, in June 1st, I, I believe it was 2022, or this was while COVID was was, was going on, um, China brought in a silent management mode, which basically meant was they weren't going to be doing any trades until they had zero COVID. Now, obviously, unfortunately, zero COVID now is impossible because no country has zero COVID. We don't have zero COVID, but they, they didn't want to have any COVID uh, whatsoever. Um, probably because COVID came from their country, and also the fact that, um, um, also the fact that um, you know, um, you know, it came from their country, and also you know, it would mean that you know it spread more because of you know the way you know the way they live and the way they work. It's very much all together, and I think um, I'm looking at this completely unbiasedly now. You know, uh, politically, me and Trump would be quite different, but. One of Trump's uh, actual uh, policies were American made, American built. You know, it was to make products within America, was to bring back the uh, industries to America. Uh, that was one of the um, f- f- that was one of his uh, uh, policies and, and beliefs. And I think that was like you know the reason why you know you have uh, like I said you know these products that can be done very quickly and you know they're not much labor laws and it undercuts American workers. So that, that I think that's was the thinking behind Trump, you know, get jobs in and we can, they, America as a superpower could become, uh, you know, that's where Make America yeah. Great Again came from, make them a trading partner and a superpower. Yeah, well, I kind of agree that, you know, if you should have the manufacturer in your own company, it gives back to the country, doesn't it? Though? Yeah, it does. But then, 
I'm not. I'm playing devil's advocate here. If you're a capitalist country, you know, and um, this is not what I believe in personally, playing devil's advocately, if you're a company, you know, they'll argue it's their right to pick where they want to produce their products. It's not up to the country. Obviously, I, I do disagree with it because I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, not what I was, man. Yeah, yeah. If you're a big country, you decide, you should decide. You know, if you're a big country and you have this company come in, you know, you should have, you know, you have to at least talk and say, no, we want our products made by the, our own, you know, the, yeah. the, the own country rather than go abroad, so to speak. But that, that's, yeah. that's the business argument to a big corporate business argument to it, I would yeah. say. That's it. So uh, finally, uh, just to get things uh, nearly wrapped up with this podcast, um, the bottom line, pundits have wondered if China will lose its spot as the world factory as other emerging economies offer cheap labor dull China's competitive edge. However, the availability of cheap labor is just one of the many factors that have kept the Made in China label on so many products purchased by consumers around the world. It will take more than low labor costs for emerging ec- uh, economies to set up a business ecosystem that can compete with China's. For some time, China will be the world factory with its low production costs, huge labor pool, vast talent base and business ecosystem. That is fascinating. Do you reckon they would? Do you reckon that other countries going to take their place? I reckon other countries will, like you say, emerge and like will put out a you know a good production base. But you know, like you say, China's with every day. It's like they have the perfect storm to keep on going, don't they? Well, yes and no. I, I mean, you go look at it this way. You know, the eighties, America was superpower, and then you know it goes over to China now. I think no country is meant to stay to stay as a superpower. Every country has to be. If you look at even empires like the British Empire, the Roman Empire, even you know, um, countries are meant to stay as superpowers. They have to eventually drop, and I think that's what will eventually happen with China. China will drop. And so yeah. So be, is that your final thought, Dill? Is it? Is these your final thoughts, or do you have anything else to say? Um, no, I, I think that's all I have to say on the matter, really. I just think they're doing well, but eventually, because it's economics and the laws of physics and what comes up must come down, eventually another country, I, I think India or somewhere, will take its place. Yeah. No, we'll have to just wait and see, won't we? Mm, definitely. We'll have to keep an eye on the world and see where life takes us. Right, I think that's us wrapped up now. I think we've gotten quite a lot of information for an hour there. To I mean, I, I could have kept talking for about three hours. But, but, oh, well, of course we could, of course yeah, we could. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, I think this is quite a good stop here, Bill. Yeah, definitely. So, like I say, you know, I'd like to thank all the listeners for coming back to listen to the Misunderstood World podcast. Uh, it's good to be back. It feels good, doesn't it, though? Uh, yeah, it's definitely good to be back. Um, and looking forward to up- upload as normal uh, and get some guests on and uh, enjoy the content that, and hopefully you'll enjoy the content that we put out. Definitely. <laughs> definitely can't wait to carry on doing this more and more and more. So, uh, yeah, this has been the Misunderstood World Podcast. I've been your co-host, Bill. I'm your co-host, Dylan. And uh, take care. Take care. Bye now.